The very funny, Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney has a new show, everyone. It is called John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that will stream live on Netflix live during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. Yes, it is a comically unconventional show that will feature special guests. I'm very excited for this. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A. debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time only on Netflix. Love starts with you. You heard me. Show off your personal style with new Pandora jewelry pieces that set a shining example for the world to see. From big feelings to small messages, beautiful hand-finished jewelry from Pandora radiates with your love from every angle. Pandora has a huge selection of rings, bracelets, earrings, necklaces, and charms. There are endless ways to show what's in your heart. Shop now at Pandora.net. Pandora. Be love. I'm Jenna Fisher. And I'm Angela Kinsey. We were on The Office together. And we're best friends. And now we're doing the ultimate Office rewatch podcast just for you. Each week, we will break down an episode of The Office and give exclusive behind-the-scenes stories that only two people who were there can tell you. We're The Office Ladies. Hello, Angela. Hi, Jenna. I feel like we're both full of beans today. Full of beans? Does that mean... Full of energy? Oh, gassy beans. I guess. I mean, we're not gassy. Says I'm not you. gassy. Well, <laughs> I do have hot feet today, though. My feet are very warm. I don't get hot feet. My okay. feet are always cold. I bought a new pair of shoes. I love them. Look at them. Look how cute they are. Oh, they're so cute. Right? But they have like a Sherpa lining in them. Why, if you have a tendency for hot feet, would you get shoes with Sherpa? I don't have a tendency for hot feet. I have a tendency for cold feet, but it's a 90-degree day today. But I wanted to wear them because they're so cute. Here's the other thing. They're a half size too big because they only come in full sizes, so I have to wear a thick sock with a Sherpa lining on a 90-degree day. I've got hot feet. All for fashion, y'all. All for fashion. Well, you know me. I know you. Listen, when you look up fashion, athletic fashion, fashion and athletic it's me. It's you. And this shoe is a fashion athletic shoe. You know what? I'm going to take a picture of it. It's high fashion. All right. Today we're talking about Blood Drive, Season 5, Episode 18, written by Brent Forrester and directed by Randall Einhorn. It's Valentine's Day. Yeah, this was our Valentine's Day episode. It was also the 90th episode of The Office. Mm. Wow. That's not even a fast fact. I haven't even gotten to fast facts yet. Do you have a lot of fast facts? I feel like this means you have a lot of fast facts. I have a fun fast fact. What is it? Well, let's do a summary first. You know, I have to go in order, lady. Oh, okay. Okay. It is Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. And there's a blood drive taking place in the parking lot of the Scranton Business Park. Michael meets a young woman while giving blood, but he passes out before he can get her name and phone number. So he decides to throw a lonely hearts party for the office. Well, he's grumpy because he's single Mm -hmm. and, you know, he doesn't want to celebrate Valentine's Day. He doesn't. And he certainly doesn't need Jim and Pam and Phyllis and Bob rubbing their couple's lunch in his face. Their couple's love in his face. I don't need love in my face today. That's what Michael was saying. Not me. I want love in my face. (laughs) What? (laughs) 
I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fast pack number one. What? You look so excited. Are you still laughing about love in my face? I am. <laughs> okay, what's fast fact number one? <laughs> fast fact number one are some facts about our blood mobile okay. that was in our parking lot. It reminded me a little bit of like the work bus bus. Yeah. Do they have one bus they just trick out for everything? No, ma'am. Oh. Randy Cordray told me we used a real blood mobile from the Providence St. Joseph's Hospital in Burbank. We had it for three days. So on Monday, the set dressers went in and they turned it into kind of a more generic looking blood mobile for our purposes. On Tuesday, we did all of our scenes inside the blood mobile. And on Wednesday, it was staffed with actual nurses and anyone in the cast and crew could actually donate blood. I remember that because everyone was walking around with a little sticker Mm -hmm. that said, I gave blood and I didn't have one. I felt a little shame. I was on location that day. That's the day we shot the restaurant stuff. So I didn't get to give blood that day either. Well, I went to give blood and they turned me away. Because of your tininess and your... Because you have to weigh at least 110 pounds to give blood. It's true. So they turned me away. What? It's That's a fact. I know. Okay. It's true. No, that is true. It is true. I've never been turned away from giving blood. Well, I still I'm can't. a hearty lady. Well, you're not hardy. Yes, I am. You're what the kids call thick. T-H-I-C-C. <laughs> By the way, I'm only saying that because someone wrote in one of my comments on Instagram, oh, Angela is thick, and I had to Google it. I think it's a good thing, lady. I think it means we got a little junk in her trunk, but in all the right places. Okay, well, then I'll take it as a compliment. Well, according to Urban Dictionary, it's a good thing. Good. Yeah. All right. Now it's fast fact number two, and I'm just so excited, lady. Okay. Because I looked up the history of blood drives and blood mobiles. You guys, I want you to know, a few days ago, Jenna texted me and was like, I'm really excited about my fast fact number two. And I was like, okay. Here's the thing. I'm a little bit of kind of a science nerd. You are. Like, my favorite book that I read in the last two years is this book called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Do you know what it's about? I have no idea. Okay. This woman, in 1951, she had a cancer surgery, and they took some of her cells. This was like a thing where, like, you donate, I'm putting that in quotes, your cells for medical research, but it's without your consent. Well, anyway, this woman's cells were so hardy They are like the basis of all of the most important medical research to this day. Like her cells are why we have a polio vaccine. It's amazing. She's like superhuman. It's just like her contribution to science is overwhelming. And yet her descendants and her family have never been compensated. Oh. And so the book is fascinating. And my research into blood drives and blood mobiles, it touches on that same part of me that is just fascinated by, like, medical discoveries. So are you ready? I wish you could see Jenna right now, you guys. <laughs> she is so animated. Her hands are moving like she's bending her fingers and I, then she's pointing and then okay. she's reaching to the sky. Go. So in order to talk about blood banking and blood mobiles, we kind of have to start with people's fascination with the idea that blood carries disease. 
Okay. Now, this goes back to the Egyptians. They would do that thing where you would cut yourself mm-hmm. and let yourself bleed out your sickness. Okay. Okay. So it's like they're on the right track. Like, yes, mm-hmm. your blood can have things in it that are making you sick, but this is not the solution, right? Right, right. So like, right idea, like wrong solution. Wrong solution. I feel like there was like a little house on the prairie where they put a bunch of, um, what are those things in the Leeches. Swamp? Leeches all yes. over someone to bleed them out. Same idea. Okay. Okay. So then someone got the idea that what you need is you need like to give the person with the sick blood healthy blood, a blood transfusion. Yeah. Okay. The first attempted blood transfusion that I could find dates back to 1492. Warning, it's a bit morbid. Okay. Pope Innocent VIII was going into a coma. So... They took the blood of three 10-year-old boys, and they put it in the Pope's mouth as a transfusion, but all of them died, the Pope and the boys. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, that is gruesome. Very gruesome. Barbaric. Yes. Slightly scary. Might haunt me. Continue. I'm very sorry. Okay. The first sort of successful blood transfusion was in France in 1667. King Louis XIV's doctor took the blood out of a sheep Mm. and he put it into a 15-year-old boy who survived. Now, why? Was the boy sick or was this just an experiment? I think he needed it. Okay. I think it was a medical emergency and they were like, let's try this. Okay. I'm not 100% sure I probably should have given the disclaimer that this is another segment of a lady who Googles. Okay. 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 Four to five articles. So then we had a lot of general blood science discovery that happened in the early 1900s. Like we discovered that there are four main blood types, right? They Mm -hmm. figured out how to match people together, a donor and a recipient of blood. Do you know your blood type? I don't. I should know because they told me when I had my kids. So when I had Isabel, I found out I was A positive, and so is she, and so is my mom. Hey. We're all A positive. Hmm. I always think to myself, oh, remember to look that up so you know your blood type. Oh, yeah. It's so fascinating. Okay, go. I think we should put that on our driver's licenses. Our blood type. Yeah. I think that would be smart. I think that's a good idea. So anyway, I'm so sorry. I hope you're interested in this history. I find it fascinating. Stay with me. So now we're going to go to Russia, okay? Okay. And this doctor in Russia realizes what I need to do is take blood from one person to another person. And so they would do these person-to-person transfusions. Okay. The problem is that it was really hard to get a giver to a recipient in time, Like the convenience, right? Right, right. So that was working. Person-to-person blood transfusions were working. It was great. But there was a time factor. And there was like a convenience factor. Mm -hmm. That is when a doctor in Chicago named Bernard Fantas had the idea of getting donors and storing their blood. And this was possible because they learned there was uh, something you could add to blood to keep it from clotting. Okay. So now blood storage was possible, and they believe that Bernard Fantas is credited with creating the first blood bank. Okay. Go, Bernard. But perhaps 
the most important contributor to live donor blood drives was Dr. Charles Drew. Remember this name. Okay, Dr. Charles Drew. He was an American surgeon and medical researcher. He dedicated his life to researching and improving the techniques for blood storage and blood transfusions. His research is what has contributed to the creation of large-scale blood banks. They are the reason why the American Red Cross was able to collect more than 13 million pints of blood during World War II. And it also appears that the blood mobile was the brainchild of Dr. Charles Drew. Dr. Charles Drew. Yes. Yes. Because now, you know, the thing could come to you and get your blood. By the way, January is National Blood Donor Month. It's always a good New Year's resolution, and you can find ways to give blood at the Red Cross website. There you go. I loved all of it, except for the beginning part. I know. I'm sorry for the beginning part, but that is the first blood transfusion on record, according to the four to five websites that I read. Anyway, read the book, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. It's really good. Okay. Also, Dr. Charles Drew. Dr. Charles Drew. We're having a blood drive episode because you created the blood mobile. We couldn't have had one in our parking lot without him. All right, fast fact number three, we got a lot of mail. People want to know who played the woman giving blood in the truck with Michael. Chelsea D. said, I thought the way Michael met that woman at the blood drive is one of the best meat cutes I've ever seen on a TV show. Well, everyone, she was played by Katie Asselton. She is a delight. I adore her. She's so sweet. We know her. Yes. We're friends with her. You guys, you probably recognize her from The League or Togetherness or Legion. She's so good in Legion. So good. Oh, man. Well, we reached out to her. We did. And she told us how she got her role in The Office. Hi, guys. I hope you guys are great. (laughs) I miss seeing your faces, but I'm thrilled that you reached out. Getting to work on The Office has and will ever be just a real career highlight for me. What a thrill. It was my first big job. So yeah, what a way to start, right? So let me just jump right in to answer. Allison Jones, who is a champion of so many of us, was a champion of mine. She is from Maine and I am from Maine. And we just have always had that really beautiful connection. But she called me in for this. And You know, when an audition just clicks and this one felt that way. And it was like one of those things where I was like, oh man, this like might actually happen. And it did. They bought it. (laughs) And that it really like started everything for me. I got just instant cred getting to be a part of that show. And I'm just like, what a, what a fun fun first role it was. So cool. You know, I hadn't watched this episode in a long time. And when it got to that scene, I was like, oh my God, there's Katie. And she is so incredibly charming. Like I want her and Michael to date, you know? I know. They're so cute. Same, Angela. When I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, it's Katie. And she's an amazing actress. She's also a director. She's directed three films. Her latest film is starring Diane Keaton, Elizabeth Lale, and Nicole Byer. It's called Mac and Rita. She's in post-production on it now. And I told her that when it comes out, we'll put a shout out in the pod so that people can find it. Yeah, that's a great cast. Well, lady, that is all of my fast facts. 
Well, I think we should go to break because when we come back, I might need to throw Jim a little shade. Really? Yeah. I can't wait to find out why. I might have something tacky to say. Oh. <laughs> oh, those are always my favorite messages. What do you mean? You'll like text me and be like, hey, can you call me? I have something tacky to say. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I Don't can't be- wait. I'm like, drop everything. <laughs> I have to call Angela. All right. We'll be back. So this winter, we went on a little ski trip with another family, and we got an Airbnb, which was so wonderful, right? Because you can make your own breakfast in the morning. We could even go there for lunch to warm up. Listen, I always want a kitchen with kids. Yep. I don't want to call room service for some sliced apples. I want to have my groceries. I need a kitchen. Yes. Well, this is why doing the Airbnb thing was so perfect. Yep. Well, this family we were staying with told us that they listed their house on Airbnb back in California. Oh, that's so smart. I know a lot of people that do this. It's like, oh, we want to go to Disneyland. We can Airbnb our place and then use that money to go. It pays for your trip. Yep. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can use Squarespace to create a website, engage with your audience, and sell anything from products to time, all in one place. Well, we've told you before that we use Squarespace for our Office Ladies website, and It is so user-friendly, so easy to use. We are not tech people, and we could not be happier with our experience. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash officeladies to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, we all carry around different stressors. Some are big, some are small. I know I keep mine kind of bottled up. And it can start to affect us. Well, therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. You can finally get a chance to talk about all those stressors. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash OfficeLadies today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash OfficeLadies. Angela, while you were getting tea during your break, Sam told me something beyond fascinating that I didn't know. It's more news about blood. What? Sam, will you please share? Yeah, they have blood donors and banks just like for humans, but for dogs. Aww. And they, same thing, they donate little, little pouches of blood. And Sam got to meet a dog that donates his blood once a month at your vet. His name is Ben and he's a golden retriever and he has a little vest with a heart on it. Aww. Mm -hmm. And he's a very good boy. Oh, that is so sweet. Very good boy. That is like stuff I don't even think about. I know. But of course. Of course. All right. Should we get started? Let's get started. Guess what? What? 
There is a rep from Techstar mm-hmm. who says there's a whole new operating system for the phones. And he could, like, meet with Michael Scott, but Michael Scott's never around. I wonder why. Well, Pam says if they get this new phone system that allows the caller to contact the salespeople directly, that's basically 95% of her job. So she is clearly never letting this guy meet Michael because she doesn't want to lose her job. I don't think Michael would ever let her go. I just want to say, Pam, you don't have to worry because Michael thinks you're his personal secretary. (laughs) Yeah. So even if you got that phone system, you know what it would mean? She'd probably have to spend more time with Michael. You wouldn't be as busy. So he'd be like, Pam, come in my office. It's true. I have to say, I appreciate when a person answers the phone when I call a business. Me too. I wouldn't like that new phone system. I like to get a human. I do too. I'm chatty. Well, I want you to know at 49 seconds... There are a few messages taped to Pam's desk. (gasps) I saw the same thing. You did? Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to know who Nick is. Oh, yeah. There's like a message. On a Pinstar post-it note, which, by the way, Pinstar was a bank branch in Pennsylvania. Love those details. Nick in office all day. Yeah. That's what the note said. I mean, who is Nick? Well, I know who Nick will be. Nick will be our IT guy. Nick will be? No, Nick will be our IT guy. (laughs) I know, I'm sorry. That just (laughs) made me laugh. Okay, so we don't know who Nick is, but someday in the future, we're going to have an IT guy named Nick. Yes. Also, Jenna, was that your grocery list? (laughs) It was my grocery list. I know you're getting green tea. And pomegranate seeds and pine nuts. What were you, what was happening? (laughs) Okay, there was the salad I really liked at the time, and it had pomegranate seeds and pine nuts in it. When I saw that sticky note, I was like, oh, my gosh, I should make that salad again. I loved it. I thought I recognized your handwriting. I was like, that's Jenna's grocery list. It was. Did you also notice there is a photo of me and John on my desk? We're standing up. This was our engagement photo. Yeah. We did this special photo shoot. It was the day that we shot at Jim's parents' house when he's showing me around We brought this extra set of clothes, and we posed in the backyard. Jim has one on his desk, too. He does, but on his desk, I'm sitting on his lap. Right. Mm -hmm. And on yours, you're standing. Yes. So this was, I think, they went out for this Valentine's Day episode, our engagement photos. Mm. Jim's going to come to Pam's rescue. He's like, Michael Scott here. And then this next bit was so funny. And Jenna, you were so excited to be part of it. I remember you were, like, so excited. Because, you know, Michael walks out and it's like, hey, and Jim is like, Jimbo. And instead of Michael being like, what what are you talking about? He's instantly like, ooh, what are we doing? We're doing a bit. We're doing a bit. I'm so excited. And then all of a sudden, everyone's Fonzie. (laughs) I know. It was really fun. We were laughing on the day when we shot that. It was so fun to do those. I feel like I should let you know that the phone tech rep was played by Rob Brownstein. He looked familiar to me. Well, he's been on Monk. <gasps> mm-hmm. Ah! He was also on the short-lived Law & Order Los Angeles. Oh. He's been on Breaking Bad and on Mad Men. But Lady. What? His latest movie. Yeah. Which has not come out yet. <gasps> oh, no. No, wait, wait, wait. Is it John Wick? No. Oh. It's called Hummingbird. Oh, I'll go see it. It's a sci-fi movie. Listen to the tagline. I'm in. When beloved telepathic superhero Hummingbird 
also known as Lola Laxman, is left for dead after a major battle, she makes a deal with the devil to save her life. Sign me up. Sign us both up. Yeah. We're going to go see Hummingbird. I want to be in a sci-fi with you. (sighs) Listen, you know what? You can be the science lab tech lady that comes in and gives the science behind the thing. Okay. Okay. You know what I would love to be in is a movie like, what's it called? Outbreak. No. Mm. No. Not that movie. Mm. With Kurt Russell. The Thing. Ew. The Thing. Ew. Yeah. Gross. Have you seen it? I feel like I saw part of it and I had to bail. It's so good. The practical effects in that movie are outstanding. All right. Should we get into this episode? We should. There is a Valentine's Day blood drive happening, as you guys know. And I want to point out that um, the Scranton Business Park went all out with mm-hmm. decorations. They really did. I mean, there is a Happy Valentine's Day banner. There's three red cupids shooting heart arrows, big hearts with love messages all on the walls. There's like a vase with like little plastic hearty things on the counter. There's a giant heart on the elevator doors that opens when they get in. Who is decorating the Scranton Business Park? I have a theory. What's your theory? I think it's Phyllis. She's married to Bob Vance. He's one of the five families. Mm, You might be right, since she can't be the Dunder Mifflin party planner anymore. Yeah, she's like, Bob, I've got a bin of hearts and cupids. I can put them around the lobby. I love Phyllis's voice when she's (laughs) talking to Bob. Well, we also find out that it is Jim and Pam's first and only Valentine's Day as fiancés. Mm-hmm. Did you see it two minutes, 41 seconds, that Pam's got some real cute dangle pink earrings and a sassy ponytail? I love the sassy ponytail. Me too. I do love a sassy ponytail. Kelly has received a valentine from a secret admirer. Mm-hmm. She opens it up. It says, roses are red, violets are blue. It's time for your dental cleaning and maybe a checkup too. I want to say that this resonated with me. <laughs> I have been Kelly where I've gotten what looks like a personal holiday card, Mm -hmm. and then it's from, like, my dry cleaner. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Or a Valentine's Day card that I think, oh, oh, or birthday. Do you Mm -hmm. ever get the birthday greetings? Yes. From, like... From, like, you get, like, a birthday greeting from your gynecologist. Right. (laughs) Exactly. At Christmas, you know, a lot of businesses will send out, like, a company Christmas card. Yeah. I tape them right up with all my family and friends' Christmas cards. <laughs> it just tickles me to be like, oh, there's like my friend's family. They're so cute. And there's my aunt and uncle. And there's my air conditioning company. Yep. Right there with yeah. a little wreath over a giant air conditioning unit. Mm-hmm. It I goes know. up on the wall, guys, if you send it to me. <laughs> this is true about you. Should we talk about Pam's beautiful Valentine's Day floral arrangement. Oh, we shall. And I'm putting on my glasses for this conversation. Wow. Mm-hmm. At three minutes and three seconds, we get a real nice shot of this flower arrangement that Jim gave Pam. And now I'm about to be tacky. Oh, okay. Here it is. I had a friend growing up who worked at our local flower shop. She told me that carnations are the cheapest flower and they use them to fill out arrangements. Mm-hmm. And another cheap flower they use are daisies. So if you want to go cheap, you get carnations and daisies. Jim's Valentine flowers are all carnations and daisies, I'm just saying. I noticed it as well. Mm-hmm. So I looked in the script. I mm-hmm. wanted 
to see Mm -hmm. if there was a script note about Jim's flower arrangement to Pam. I want to hear it because I have a theory that I will prove. I think I can prove it. Okay. Here is what the script said. There was a note. There is a small bouquet of non-rose flowers on Pam's desk. Okay. Well, I think Phil Shea from Props ran with this because later in the episode, when they go to the fancy restaurant mm-hmm. with Bob and Phyllis, mm-hmm. the same arrangement is on all the tables. Really? <laughs> yes. And if you look up cheap flowers for big events, carnations and daisies, if you have an event like a wedding or whatever, they help fill out the arrangements. So I think Phil was like, okay, great. I can get this small bouquet of the same arrangement that I'm doing for the dinner at the restaurant. Yeah. So in Jim's defense, Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe it helped out our props department. Well, I'll also have you know, in the same scene at three minutes and 17 seconds, my grocery list is gone. So we obviously shot this on a different day. (laughs) I've been shopping now. So in case you were worried, I got all my stuff. Michael does not like the flowers. No. He's not a fan. He, he puts, them, puts on the them on the floor. He doesn't want to see them. I was like, you know what? I get that he doesn't want to see them. The floor, couldn't he just like put them like on one of those tables behind her? I don't know. He wouldn't be able to see them. Well, he goes up to Jim and he says, I need to have a word with you. And he says that today is a very difficult day for many people in the office and that Pam and Jim's sexy vibes are creating a hostile work environment. This whole conversation made me laugh so hard. First of all, it's kind of in hushed tones, you know, and they're saying ridiculous things in hushed tones. That was always really hard for me. Yeah. And when you were like, Michael, you do not get to be in our relationship. (laughs) Lady, I wrote that down because I remember making a choice to say that as if it's not the first time I've had to explain that to Michael. It was really good. I wanted it to have history. It did. It really paid off. Well, we had a fan question from Maddie L who says, When Michael asks Jim to have a word with him, he starts to stand up as if he's going to head to Michael's office, but then awkwardly sits back down when Michael chooses to sit on Jim's desk instead. Was this improvised? I think it was. I looked in the script to see if there was any... Stage direction. Yeah, there wasn't, except that it clearly says they don't move into Michael's office. They stay at Jim's desk. So I think that feels like something that John and Steve probably found in the moment. It's very funny. A hundred percent. And I feel like those guys, you know, we've talked about this a lot. By this time, everyone knew their characters so well. So those tops and bottoms of a scene, you could kind of play around a little bit. And it looked like them just having fun. It's time to talk about Dwight. I feel like Dwight, how do I say this? I feel like this episode really shows so much of who Dwight is. There's deleted scenes where he talks about the Bloodmobile being a vampire magnet after dark. He's ready for anything and everything, you know? Yes. And he has a lot of stuff to share about how his body can do things. Yes. The nurse is trying to take blood, but she can't find a vein. Mm -mm. Well, you know why? He's hidden it from her. Mm -hmm. And when he's ready, he's going to pop it on out for her. Yeah. Then he has a talking head where he tells us he can also retract his penis up into himself. Yeah. He says, I train my major blood vessels to retract into my body on command. Also, I can retract my penis up into itself. We had a fan question from Robin T. Robin, go. Dwight's lines about retracting his blood vessels and penis is one of my favorite quotes from the entire show. 
It is so absolutely absurd and hilarious and so very Dwight. I want to know everything about this line. Was it scripted? How hard was it to get through? I'll tell you, it was scripted, but this was an alternate talking head. This is not the one that appeared in our shooting draft. So I wasn't there when they shot it, but I have to imagine it was very difficult to get through. Well, it's Michael's turn to give blood, guys. Wow, that's a big needle, he says. Are you squeamish around needles? I can give blood. I don't get faint or anything, but I don't like to watch it. Yeah. I don't like to see the needle go in my arm. I don't like to see the bag fill up, but I don't like it faint or weird around blood. Yeah, yeah. If someone's bleeding, it doesn't make me faint. Yeah, same, same. Okay. Michael, on the other hand, is very nervous, but luckily there's a lovely young woman also giving blood, and they start joking around. Yes. We asked Katie about this scene. I wanted to know, did she do any research into the process of giving blood and all of that? And here's what she had to say. I didn't do any research for this role, but I didn't need to (laughs) because my character was just nervous. And pleasant. And I didn't have to dig super deep to access those emotions. But the funny, I do have a very funny anecdote about being nervous or my character being nervous is that my first line was me just laughing nervously and saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so nervous. And Steve, (laughs) Steve kept cutting. And he would be like, oh, no, it's okay. We'll go again. We'll go again. And finally, I was just like, I think it's my line. I think that's what I'm supposed to say. But that has always made me laugh. And of course, yes, I was thrilled to work with Steve to get that, to get the show was its own triumph. But then to have my scene be with him was just like, I was over the moon I love that story about Steve Mm -hmm. because he was such a caretaker like that. He would want our guest actors to feel really comfortable. And, you know, he'd be like, oh, no, it's okay. We'll start again. We'll wait till you're comfortable. (laughs) I was like, no, it's actually my line. I would also be relieved if the first time I ever had to be in a scene with Steve, I got to just laugh nervously and say I was nervous. Yes. (laughs) Because it would be so truthful. Such an honest moment. Yeah. There's a third person in this scene. It's the nurse. She was great. I wondered if she was a real bloodmobile nurse, since that was a real bloodmobile. Yeah, and she seemed kind of no-nonsense, like yeah. very comfortable there. Well, she was, in fact, an actress. Her name is Julie Ramallah. She has not been on Monk or Law & Order, but she was on several episodes of The Young and the Restless, mm. as well as many movies and TV shows. Well, Michael's going to make the mistake of looking at his blood bag. Mm-hmm. He freaks out a little. And he says to her, tell me a story, say something, distract me. And she says he's cute. Mm -hmm. And he's, I think, so happy. And then he shares that he didn't eat for three days because he was so nervous about giving blood. And he passes out. Yes. We had a fan question. Many, many people wanted to know, how do we do these scenes of people giving blood? Some people wanted to know, did they actually give blood? No. Oh, my goodness. No. no. You know, Not they, in the episode. Well, yes, the next day, but not while we were filming. Uh, no. The one next actually, day with trained professionals and not actors pretending to take blood. Correct. I found out how they make fakie blood. Oh. 
Thanks to Randy Cordray. How do they do it? All right. It's a combination of water, food coloring, and you're not going to believe it. Um, One more thing. Wait, wait, wait. Um, You'll never guess. Wait, wait, wait. I want to try to guess. You can eat it. I, I thought you could eat it. I was going to say like Jello. Nestle's Quick. Oh! Yeah. That thickens it a little, I guess. Yeah. So our blood was all made by our special effects team led by Ron Nary. Hmm. Had to make fakey blood that fakie day. Fakey blood. Well, I thought the reveal of Hank when Michael comes to <laughs> was one of the best moments. I laughed so hard. It was so perfect. It was And so then he perfect. calls the nurse a waitress. He's like so out of it. And he finds her glove. He does. And this starts his whole mission to find her. To return the glove. Yeah. Like Cinderella's slipper. I know. It's really cute. We have one more clip from Katie where she just shares her memories of her time on the show. I asked her, anything stick out to you? And Angela, wait until you hear what she says. Oh, I can't wait. I don't remember a ton of details about my time on set, except for that you guys were on your last day of like a very, very, very long cycle of shooting. And everyone was just dead, (laughs) tired, and just ready for a hiatus. So um, that is what I remember. But they were lovely. Everyone was great. But just like, the talk was all about how this hiatus was just so needed. So that's what I remember. That and um, that you guys moved so quickly. It was like the fastest. I don't even know if I got lunch that day. Like I showed up, I did my scene, and I, I'm pretty sure you guys banged me out, and I didn't even get a free lunch. All right. This was. Remember early on, mm-hmm. we had to do 18 episodes in a row so that we could create that hiatus for Steve to go do a movie? Yeah. This was that 18th episode. We were so wiped. Yep. 18 weeks of 12 to 14 hour days. Yeah. And you guys, you know when you have that stretch of work where you leave work and it's dark out and then you come back to work and it's still dark out. You know what I mean? Because you're there so early. Yeah. And you're just like, and you sort of all look at each other and joke and be like, see you in a few hours. There's a whole thing now. It's called clopening. And clopening? It, clopening. And it's a lot of people who work in the service industry or in the food industry where you have to close the restaurant and then like a few hours later you have to open it. Yeah. Clopening. Clopening. Well, we were in the clopening phase. We were. That is hilarious to me because I do remember like when we would wrap after a big stretch like that, I would get like a cold. I would get sick. We talked about that. Yeah. Right now we were about to all get sick, yeah. basically. <laughs> and Katie clocked it and has remembered it all these years later. That's how tired we were. We were so tired. Next up is a scene I'm dying to talk about. Mm-hmm. It's in the conference room. Kelly and Meredith are decorating for the Lonely Hearts party. Is this a good time to talk about how Meredith is wearing the vest again? Yes. The sweater vest. It is making its second appearance in the series pretty quickly because it was just in the duel. Yes, this is the vest that I wore to a press event with John Krasinski. And by the way, it was not Betsy Johnson. It was Nanette Lepore. Fancy. And Meredith loves it, clearly, and is wearing it again. They were really, I think, rubbing it in my face. (laughs) I 
take it personally. I'm kidding. Well, there's something happening now that I, as an actor, am super jealous of because Jim and Pam are going to go to frickin' lunch with Bob and Phyllis. Mm-hmm. Jenna, I would have loved to have been there. That looked like so much fun. And I love it. It's like the thing we talk about when random characters get thrown together. What's going to happen? What's the chemistry? I lived for every scene. And there was so much more in the script. And there's more in the deleted scenes. Phyllis and I were so excited for this storyline. We're the two St. Louis gals. Yeah. And we got to have this whole day of shooting together. We got to talk about bowling. Yes. We had a fan question from Joe S. Where were the restaurant scenes for the double date filmed? I will tell you. They were filmed at a real restaurant called Barsack Brazier. It was on mm-hmm. Lancashire Boulevard in North Hollywood. We filled the restaurant with background performers who were pretending to be servers and diners. We had the restaurant for half a day. It is no longer in business, but that's where we were. And we ate their real food. Well, if you look at the tables, there you're going to see Jim's bouquet of flowers to Pam on every table. I'll do a side-by-side in our stories. And I want to ask you, Jenna, about the scene with the bowling. Okay. All right. So Bob says, everyone here who's bowled a 280, please raise your hand. And you guys are like super impressed. Yeah. What's the highest bowling number? 300. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's a big deal. I don't know a lot about bowling. I don't know much about bowling. Yes. 300 is if you get a strike in every frame. Wowzers. Okay. Well, there was a whole other storyline where clearly the writers wanted Jim and Pam to be impressed by how cool Bob and Phyllis were. There was a whole other scene where you guys talk about how you went to Dave Matthews Band. Yes. I remember shooting it. And that they had great seats and that Phyllis like went backstage and all this stuff. Yeah. We're like, oh my gosh, Bob and Phyllis are kind of cool. <laughs> and then they excuse themselves to the restroom. We got some mail from Emily Y, who really appreciated the callback from Phyllis's wedding about Phyllis being a good bowler. Oh, yeah. I also enjoyed that. If you guys remember, Bob has a speech at their reception where he refers to Phyllis as, quote, a hell of a bowler. That's right. I think we should take a break before we go to Michael's Lonely Hearts party. I do, too. Is that okay? I I think we should, too. Before we go to break, I just want to say one thing. What is it? That I love that Bob says, I don't know how you work with that one jackass and then that new jackass and that other jackass. (laughs) Yeah, and Phyllis is like, he means Michael, Dwight, and Andy. And Jim's like, oh, I I knew who he was I knew, I knew. (laughs) That's great. Let's go to break. Listen to this, because this sounds amazing to me. Ready? Okay. In a world that stops for no one, with life dominated by screens, there's still a place filled with endless reasons to put the phone down and pick up life. Doesn't that sound lovely? Where are we talking about? South Dakota. That's where Lee was born. Really? South Dakota. How did I not know that? I don't know. I didn't know he was born in South Dakota. Mm -hmm. He has family there. Well, South Dakota is a great place to vacation and adventure. You can get worlds away from home in the Badlands, find peace among the pines in the Black Hills, and unwind with each bend of the Missouri River. And if you're looking for love, you might find a Lee there. Oh, my gosh. Made a good fella, South Dakota did. From Sioux Falls to Deadwood, you'll find yourself getting lost in a place that brings you closer to the world around you. You can immerse yourself in the creativity of both contemporary and traditional crafts. See why there's so much South Dakota, so little time, 
at TravelSouthDakota.com. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed to connect with candidates faster by scheduling, screening, and messaging. And Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 23 hires were made on Indeed every minute, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash OfficeLadies. Just go to Indeed.com slash OfficeLadies right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash OfficeLadies. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We are back. And since I shared about my hot feet today, I thought I would also share about another wardrobe malfunction that I discovered during my bathroom break, which is that I put my underwear on inside out today. Oh, I'm having that day, everybody. (laughs) I think I look really put together today. Do I? Or is it? No. You know, you didn't say yes. In fact, <laughs> well, you got to look on your face like, how do I say this? I, you know what? You know what? why? I don't want you to move. Don't move. Oh, no. Don't move. I just want to take a picture of your hair and then I'm going to answer. Okay. Now you just said, I feel pretty, pretty put together today. Now I want you to look at this. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now your outfit, lady. It's all happening. You have your little shirt and pants and your fancy sneakers. I like your look today. Good. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's go to the Lonely Hearts party. Let's do. Because Michael wants to go around and have everyone tell their worst relationship story. Michael has this way of like, oh, you don't feel good. I want you to feel worse. Yeah. I think he thinks this is going to be, I don't know, bonding, cathartic. Mm. Well, you guys, we had to sit in a circle facing each other. We could not get through these scenes. (laughs) We each went around and said the most ridiculous things. There was way more than what you're seeing here. There was more on the page. And we just were laughing all day. Also, for the supporting cast, we got to have Steve all to ourselves Mm -hmm. and interact with him and as Michael Scott and our characters. And it just was a freaking hilariously fun afternoon. I love how Oscar doesn't want to share, and then he clearly has been going on and on. Yeah. It actually, in the script, starts with Meredith, and she talks about the woman her husband left her for. I think we need to hear some of it. So. My husband ran off with some broad. Who was she? She was our garbage woman. Nice. I totally get it. I mean, she was strong. She had a career. She could heave a bag of garbage as high as a two-story house. So sorry, Marta. My kids call her mom now. I guess it's for the best. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. Well, let's... Let's... Who else? Kids! She said, my kids! I know! I know! More evidence that there's more than one. More evidence. And then, I don't know if you heard at the end, 
Steve as Michael goes, oh, God, okay. <laughs> like every time he did that <laughs> after everyone's story, it was so hard to keep it together. Michael tries to get Kelly to share, mm-hmm. uh, but she insists that, I guess, her heart wasn't broken, that Ryan's okay, that his heart was in the right place. Michael reminds her that his heart and body are now in Thailand having random sex. Awesome. Again, great pep talk, Michael. Angela had a talking head here. It's in the deleted scenes. I want to play it, Jenna, because I then want to read you what was my alt talking head. Because we talk a lot about how our alternate talking heads sometimes would just be all over the map. And I want you to hear the difference. Okay, play what would have actually ended up in the episode if we had had more time. I do not have a Valentine this year. I have recently got out of two long-term relationships, so I want to wait before I do that again. Okay, so that's what we shot. Okay, Amazing. Amazing. Here was my alt, one of my alts, guys. The major holidays are Christmas, Easter, and the 4th of July. Valentine's Day is bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) And then they said, we could try it this way. Valentine's Day is bullpucky. Ah, but that was my alt. (laughs) Well, Angela does share her, I guess, heartbreak story, Mm -hmm. which is that there was a time when she was in a relationship with two men, both of whom she loved, and they ended up dueling over her. And Oscar's like, we know we were there, Dwight and Andy. And she's like, no, this was years ago when I was living in Ohio, John Mark and John David. Ohio. I know. John Mark and John David. What was her other life? And then Oscar's like, wait a second. You had two sets of different men actually duel over you. And I had so much fun saying, I guess I have. Huh. And then your deleted talking head implies that you might do this a third time, but you need a moment. I need a moment. Before you do that again. Again. And then, you guys, Oscar's whole story was so great. There was so much more to it. I wish it hadn't been cut. He talks about, like, the whole entire way he met this guy and how it all played out. And it really builds. And we're hanging on his every word. And a lot of that had to be cut for time. But it it was really fun to shoot. We also find out where Andy is. Because, guys, he has not been in this episode at all. Where is he? He is on his honeymoons. Yeah, Oscar said, you know, he had to put full deposits down that he couldn't get back, non-refundables, on these honeymoons. So he's just going and doing them all. He's got a hot air balloon thing, a massage. Lady, this got me thinking. How many times does this happen? Do people share about this where they had an engagement that got broken off and they've already paid for the honeymoon and Mm -hmm. who goes on it? Mm -hmm. I guess it happens quite a bit. Mm Mm-hmm. I know someone it happened to. You do? Mm-hmm. What was the honeymoon destination? I think the honeymoon destination was Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And what they did was they each, like, canceled their plane ticket and they got the credit. And my friend came and visited me on what would have been her honeymoon week. Wow. So instead of flying to Hawaii, she rerouted it to L.A., and then I took her to Laguna Beach, and we just hung out the week that it would have been her honeymoon. Oh, my gosh. You have such a personal story about this. Well, in my search online about these stories, guess what I found? What? In March of 2019, the New York Times ran an article saying that traveling alone for your honeymoon is actually on trend. What? Yeah, I know. I'm sorry, wait, but the marriage happened. The marriage happened. 
And then you go by yourself on a honeymoon trip? You both go separately by yourselves. They said it's been given two nicknames. Solo moons are unimoons. And according to Jessica Carbino, who's an online dating expert and a sociologist for the dating app Bumble, she says, frankly, the idea of separate honeymoons may signal the continued evolution of marriage. Given the recognition that for most couples today, marriage and partnership is considered all-consuming, with the partner needing to fulfill every role, physical, spiritual, emotional, and sexual, perhaps separate vacations is a recognition among some couples that all expectations cannot be met by a single person. This caused a stir on Twitter. Well, this look whole at my ar- face. I know, this whole article. So Helen Fisher from the Kinsey Institute, guys. Mm-hmm. I'm not related, but, you know, same last name. Helen Fisher, who works at the Kinsey Institute, said... Perhaps I'm old-fashioned, but I think it should be marked. You are at a new stage in your life when you marry, and you are missing out on triggering the three most valuable brain systems for a lasting relationship. I'm with this. Same. Like, oh my gosh, you just got married. This is a celebration of your union. Isn't the whole idea to go take a trip together? Yeah, I just think it's a milestone that is best celebrated together. I know. I mean, I do see the value in once you are married, and especially if you have kids, there is a great restorative, wonderful indulgence if you can take a trip solo, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, my dream vacation is me going and sleeping somewhere for three days, (laughs) you know? So, yes, sign me up. But when you first get married. But you've married, also been married a long time and you have young children and the idea of getting to sleep in. No, oh. I've been married over 11 years. Mm-hmm. And yes, I'm thinking, what solo vacation? I mean, even now, if there's a chance that we could have someone watch our kids, I'd want to go somewhere with Lee for three days. We could just sleep. I, know. I think he'd like it too. I get excited when Josh and I can both run errands at the same time together. Like yes. if, if I turn that, to him, that's sometimes a date night for it, us. It is like if I turn to him and say, I got to go to Target and he's like, oh, I can go too. I'm like, oh, no way. I'm so excited. I hear all of that. Here's the thing. I'll just say it. I like to be around my husband all the time. We don't even have to be talking to each other. I like to text him all day. I like to get his texts. I mean, I don't know. I like him. I know. you. I want to go on a honeymoon with him. I know. I want to go on a honeymoon with my person. Anyway, so Andy is on sort of a sad uni-moon. Well, I'll tell you where he really was. Oh, where Ed Helms was. Yes. Ed was filming The Hangover in Las Vegas. Oh, that's right. This is when we had the crazy schedule for him. He was so tired, Jenna. He was. Do you remember? He would get off the plane from Vegas and come straight to our set. Yeah. Here's what we did. It was this big negotiation between the studios. He would be on set with us Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We only got him three days. Right. Then he would fly after work and start work on The Hangover Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. He was working seven days, but there were two weeks when he had to work on The Hangover all week, and this was one of those weeks. Remember, BJ was also gone right now filming Inglorious Bastards. So two of our fellows were off making movies. Mm-hmm. So they created these storylines for these guys so that they could do their movies. They got very creative with this idea of Andy being on his honeymoons because after this episode aired, 
NBC uploaded photos of Ed pretending to be on vacation. They put him in the Angela Martin, Andy Bernard wedding website. They had him pose in all these different outfits in front of a green screen. They had him scuba diving, standing in front of a hot air balloon in Napa Valley, and visiting Epcot Center. I think I might still have those. I found the one Mm -hmm. of him in front of the balloon. Yeah. And I also found the message that they wrote from Andy to everyone (laughs) on the wedding website. It said this, quote, Wanted all my bros and bras in cyberspace to know that the old nard dog is doing just fine. (laughs) Back to our group of sadness. Kevin is going to share about his breakup from Stacy. Yeah. Michael decides to become a problem solver. Mm-hmm. He says there's got to be a way to get all the lonely people together. A mixer. First, Dwight says a giant net. Jenna, I <laughs> thought that that was an improv. <laughs> and I went and looked in the script, and it was completely 100% written. It's so funny. It's so funny. But no, you're right. Michael is saying a mixer, a.k.a. an old-fashioned meat market. Mm-hmm. They're going to put up flyers. Yep. They're going to invite people. And on the flyer, Michael is going to make sure that he is, you know, sending out a beacon to this lost glove lady. Yeah. And he says, you know what? Cupid is going to shoot his sparrow Mm -hmm. at unsuspecting victims. Yeah. His sparrow. A funny little bird, but he gets the job done. That's right. That tickled me because I feel like I get phrases one or two words off. You feel like it? You do. You do. Why is All the Sam time. applauding? Oh, my gosh. Because we thought the same thing when you said it. Like there's a debate to it. <laughs> I feel like it might be possible. <laughs> that in this moment, I really relate to Michael. When the mixer gets underway, two women enter. Yes, Lynn and Ree. Ree was played by Tate Hanyak. She's done a ton of comedy television work, everything from Scrubs, Community, Superstore. She has been on Monk. And I can't believe I'm going to say this. What? I was so excited. What? She has John been... Wick. No. Oh. I've seen John Wick. What? With Keanu Reeves? No. How does she know him? What? No. Oh, what? my gosh. You are so on Keanu today. <laughs> no. She was in a television pilot called Hummingbird. Oh, my Lord. I should just know today all of your anecdotes are Hummingbird related. I mean, I couldn't believe it when I was looking her up. She played Sienna. The mm-hmm. series was a thriller about a young girl who vanishes. Hmm. The other lady who has entered is Lynn. Mm-hmm. She was played by Lisa K. Wyatt. This is her first of four episodes. Yes. She's going to become a love interest for Kevin. In addition to her numerous film, television, and commercial credits, such as Donnie Darko, Legally Blonde, and Days of Our Lives, Lisa Wyatt also does stand-up. And along with her husband, she coaches other actors in an acting technique, acting technique, called The Mechanics of Believability at the Acting Garage in Los Angeles. I thought she was very believable. There you go. Spot on. Did you guys all notice that Rhee is dressed like Angela Martin? Yes, we got mail about it. Mm -hmm. People wanted to know if that was on purpose. I think so, yes. Yes, I think so. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, Michael's going to bring Lynn right on over to Kevin. He wants to make a love connection. I mean, Michael's playing Cupid. He is. Kevin tries to chatter up, but he kind of keeps putting his foot in his mouth He does mention the Circle Mm Drive-In. That's a real place. I looked it up. It's in Scranton, and it's still in operation. 
One of my favorites, though, is when Michael tries to set up Meredith. Mm-hmm. He says, so, Eric, you mentioned that you are in tool and dye repair. I loved that. Yeah. Do you think he works at Crest Tool and Dye? Probably. It's on the sign down in the lobby. Yes. This is like a business park, right? Yes, exactly. Eric says, I am. And then Michael says, well, Meredith recently had a total hysterectomy, so that's sort of a repair. All right, I'll let you two talk. Would you like a guest star breakdown on Eric? I would. He was played by Jason Rogel, and I found a very interesting crossover connection. I know it. Tell us, Angela. Jason and I, when he played Eric, we didn't know each other. But years later, we would both be in the Netflix movie Tall Girl together. Yes! Mm-hmm. So crazy! I know, a little mini office reunion. He played the doctor, the pediatrician, when Steve Zahn, who plays my husband and I, we go to meet with the pediatrician because our daughter is so incredibly tall at such a young age. And he played the pediatrician. Should we go to the restaurant? We should, because Bob and Phyllis have not come back from the bathroom. No, and Jim and Pam are very hungry. Their food is there. This is getting so awkward. They're discussing, when are you allowed to eat? And Jim says, did you get hot food? And Pam says, no, she got cold food. And he said, then I think you need to wait. Right, you have to wait for the other people. And Pam says, Bob got hot food. And I think his fries are getting cold. And then they start eating his fries. (laughs) And then they eat his steak. I know. Did you see how I was really eating the steak? Lady, I was starving. I was, like, so excited to eat the fries and the steak. That was real. That's my real hunger. I thought it rang pretty true just knowing you the way I know you when you get hungry. Yep. That you would not hesitate to take food off someone else's plate. Especially because they hadn't been on that plate yet. When I was a caterer. Would you take things and nibble? You know, when I was clearing the tables, Mm -hmm. if there was like a roll or like part of a chicken breast that had clearly not been touched, I would eat it. I mean, I was hungry and I, you know, was a struggling actor. It was a free meal. I would sort of piece it together from everybody's (laughs) plate. Let me tell you something, Angela, because you brought up food and eating for me. Um, You know, it's important to me. And... It's so important to me, this idea of like being at a large dinner party and people are getting served food and when do you get to eat your food, that I actually looked it up once. Like the etiquette of it? Yes. And I read that in a large dinner party, if they're serving something cold, you have to wait for everybody to get their cold dish, like a salad or a cold soup before you start eating. But if something hot is being served... After two or more people have been served that hot dish, you can begin eating while you wait for the rest of the party to get their dish. And I've stuck with that in my life Mm -hmm. when I've been at, like, let's say a table of 10. Mm -hmm. If I get my hot dish, I'm the fourth person to get it. I start eating it because that's what the book said and Mm -hmm. because I want to. Mm. But I digged a little deeper. Okay. Since we're on the topic of dining etiquette. Okay. Here are some other dining etiquette rules for you. Apparently, if you get a dinner roll, etiquette says you should only butter one bite at a time. You shouldn't butter your whole piece of bread. Get out. Isn't that crazy? I'm going to put butter all over it. I butter the whole thing. I want more butter. But if you butter it one bite at a time, you You're might You're double get... dipping! But it no, because you're using a special knife. 
And you're putting it on your bread and you're taking a bite and then you're doing that knife on that shared communal butter again. Etiquette, I don't think you're right. Well, that's what it said. Okay. Also, out of respect for the chef, you should always try several bites of your food before adding any salt or pepper. Well, we always say that to our kids. Like, try it before you salt it, guys. If someone asks you to pass the salt, do you know you're supposed to pass the salt and pepper together? I do. They're a pair. They like to travel together. They travel together. If you're enjoying a family-style meal, you're supposed to pass the dishes clockwise around the table. Oh, gosh. At our family, it's like a free-for-all. Same. Also, this one I found very interesting. If you leave the table and you're in the middle of a meal, do you know where you're supposed to put your napkin? To the left of your plate? That's what I thought. To the side of your plate. Yeah. Your chair. What? You're supposed to set it on your chair. Gross. My butt was just there. Why do I want to put that up? What? No. Maybe your hot feet were tucked up under your butt. I know. I could have a hot foot, inside out, underwear, chair. Yeah. That's gross. Why are we talking about my chair? You brought, you brought up all of these things. The hot feet, your underwear, the chair. This is all your stuff. Why are you making me talk about this? Uh, Pam and Jim can't take it anymore. It's been so long. They're like, did they ditch us? Yeah. Where are they? Maybe they just left. Well, they go to look for them. Mm -hmm. Over by the restrooms. Yeah. And what do they hear moaning behind a door? It is on. They are clearly getting it on. (laughs) Jim and Pam are horrified. But then, but then... When they come back to the table, can we talk about Phyllis chugging her water? She's so flustered. She's like sweaty, (laughs) chugging her water. Phyllis should get an Emmy for that moment. She's so brilliant. It's so good. And then at 17 minutes, 35 seconds, can we please talk about the way that Bob Vance holds his fork when he starts cutting his steak? He's like... Got his fork in like a fist and he stabbed it into the steak and he's cutting it. He feeds it to Phyllis. I had a question about this moment. Okay. He says, do you want any steak? And she's like, sure. And he passes it over to her and she says, no mushrooms. He says, sorry, I forgot. And then she eats the steak. I was like, this is so nuanced. This feels so personal and intimate. Was this written? And I went to the script and this is not in the script. The whole steak thing, is it? Him feeding her in the mushroom. Wow. That's crazy because I just remember shooting it several times. So it must have been an on-the-day thing because it wasn't a one-time improv. Right. Because they had to set up that camera specifically to get that look from me and John. Right. And And I remember that we had a hard time holding it because it was very funny. But my question is, was the mushroom thing an accident? I don't remember. When he stabs the steak. And maybe in real life, Phyllis doesn't like mushrooms. Maybe So not. she just improv no mushrooms. I don't know. It's so specific. It's so good. I loved it. Back at the mixer, Michael keeps looking at the door. He's really hoping Glove Girl will show up. And Dwight is like, why do you keep looking at the front door? Is someone after you? Okay, wait. <laughs> we got a fan question about that from Amy P. She says... When Dwight asks Michael if someone's after him and Oscar says, why do you always go to that? Has anyone ever been after anyone in this office? Amy says, 
Um, yes, Oscar. Roy! Yes, remember Roy? He was definitely after Jim and Dwight saved the day. Listen, Dwight is ready with weaponry all the time. There is a moment where a woman shows up who is not Michael's lady. Mm-hmm. And he turns her away. Everyone groans. I don't know that he turns her away, but she walks in and everyone is so excited for Glove Girl that when Michael's like, nope, they're like, meh. And she leaves. Yeah. This unnamed woman. I looked her up. Do you know who she is? Oh, I do. Dorian Frankel. Uh-huh. She was Allison Jones' casting associate for The Office after Phyllis left. Let me tell you a little bit about Dorian. I met her a lifetime ago. Dorian, if you're hearing this, hi, it was so fun to see your face. We did improv together at Improv Olympic, also known as IO West. We were on a long-form team called, ready for this, Fluffers. Oh. Dorian, do you remember this? If you hear this, we were on a team called Fluffers. We would rehearse in her apartment, and she was lovely, and I'm so happy for her. She recently won an Emmy for casting Veep. Yes. So she's amazing. Dorian, oh my gosh, flash from the past. (laughs) So that was my other crossover connection with a guest star in this episode. Amazing. Dwight has kind of zeroed in on Ree, woman who is dressed like Angela, but not for the reasons we think. Well, he finds out when they're talking that she works at a place that does catalogs for community colleges and small businesses. They must use a lot of paper. I mean, at first we're like, is he attracted to her? No, he's just trying to make a huge paper sale. Yes. Jenna, there was a lot in deleted scenes of like people just sort of chit-chatting, trying to flirt, trying to meet people, make conversation. Well, Creed talks to Lynn. Oh. He tries to strike up conversation with her. You got to hear it. How old are you? Wait, let me guess. 30. No, no, no. 60. 34. Cool beans. Me too. What year were you born? (laughs) Wow. I know. First of all, he leads off with like, how old are you? Let me guess. Like, And then he goes from 30 to 60. (laughs) This is Creed trying to make small talk, guys. I remember I was in a bar once and a guy tried to flirt with me by asking me how much I weighed. Mm -hmm. And then he said, I bet I can guess. (gasps) And then he picked me up without my consent and then said a number. Fellas, there's so much wrong with this. (laughs) (laughs) I hope we don't have to break it down for you. But, like, don't do that. Yeah. All those things. Yeah. Don't say as your pickup line, let me guess your age or your weight. Yeah. Don't put your hands on a lady. Unless she invites you to. So many things. So many things. But you know who did spark some interest in Lynn? Ultimately was Kevin. I know. And he's very charming in his just nervousness and honesty. And doesn't Brian kill it in the scene where he shows that she gave him her business card? Yes. It reminds me of that episode when... They won their parking lot back from the five families. And he's like, sometimes you just need things to go your way. Yes. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it when he does that. Such a good actor. I know. Unfortunately, it looks like 
They're going to have to close down the party, and Glove Girl never shows up. Michael doesn't want to leave. He wants to keep waiting it out. And people stick around for a while. It's very sweet. Even Angela. Even Stanley. Yeah. Yeah. And Oscar's ultimately like, no, come on, Michael. It's time. Let's all walk out together. We got mail. Okay. Aiden M. wrote in to say, why did Michael never get to find the lady who left her glove in the blood drive van? It has driven me crazy, even though he ends up with Holly. And Diana P. went on to say, why didn't this storyline continue? I asked Katie about it because I was curious. It just shows you how good of a job they did Mm -hmm. together in that scene that people wanted to see more of the blood drive girl and Michael. Well, the message boards after this episode aired were all for Glove Girl. And here's what Katie had to say. Oh, man, you guys. So here is the thing about my experience is that when I auditioned, it was with the caveat that it was a possible recurring character. Um, And so all I wanted was to perform well and to impress and to be asked back. And it didn't happen. (laughs) It didn't happen. Um, And I'm sure they had their creative reasons. But, oh boy, I wanted nothing more. Um, But I'm happy with the time I got. That's for sure. So, I will tell you, Mm story-wise, why Glove Girl did not come back. It was not because we were not completely charmed by Katie and her performance. No, she crushed it. Clearly, yes. Michael has a talking head, and it's really written in this talking head. He says that this is the first time since Holly that he's even considered getting back into the dating marina. Marina? The marina. Like Cupid's Sparrow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that was the story point of this episode, was not to introduce a new love interest for Michael. They ultimately decided. They were toying with this idea. But really, it was just for Michael to feel like he could connect with someone again. But ultimately, they're going to keep him on this trajectory toward Holly. But because of this storyline, he's not going to be kind of as broken when he does finally reunite with her. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, he's hopeful. He's getting a little bit of his confidence back. Yes. And that's important. Yeah. Well, the whole gang is going to leave the building. And Jenna, I just want you guys to know when you watch us all exit, Mindy and I are just having a conversation. Yeah, I saw that. I'm gesturing to my hair. Mm-hmm. I don't know what we're talking about. I don't either. You're very animated. Very animated. <laughs> and then I feel like they sort of let us know that we are on camera because then I go back to Angela Martin and I do these little awkward waves goodbye. But everyone is very pleasant and nice to one another. Mm-hmm. They were- Michael's Lonely Hearts Party was kind of a success. Yeah. I mean, they were all sort of lonely together. Yeah. This episode ends with a great tag. It's so funny. Found it very funny. Stanley goes into the Bloodmobile, and he's got a little bandage on his arm. He's got a cotton ball with a little bit of medical tape. And mm-hmm. he says, I'm so sorry. I gave blood earlier, and I'm still feeling a little woozy. Do you have a cookie? Can I have one of those cookies? Right. 
And she says, you know what? You have a cotton ball and medical tape, but we're using Band-Aids. Yeah, she's like, huh. Weird. And behind him, Phyllis walks up. He's making a quick exit, and he just goes, Band-Aid. And she's like, damn it. (laughs) And then Creed leaves the truck with his blood in a bag or someone else's. I'm not sure. To go where? To do what? I don't know, but this is what Dwight has been worried about the whole episode. I know. Where is Dwight? I don't know. Well, that was Blood Drive, everybody. That is Blood Drive, everyone. I'm going to go home. I'm going to put on different shoes. Cool off your feet. Don't put on any shoes. Just take shoes off. It's like 95 degrees out. I encourage you to get a pair of flip-flops. Yeah, and I guess I have to fix my hair. Well, you do have one guy that's going, he's like at attention, just in your bangs. I'm growing my bangs out. And oh, so it's a transition. They're a strange length. Mm-hmm. It was a summer thing. We're moving into fall. Yeah, you got to have your fall hairdo. That's right. I'm moving into, I don't know what my fall hairdo is yet, mm-hmm. but we're transitioning out of bangs right now. I can't wait to see what your fall hairdo is. Well, I know I'm going to get the truth from you. That's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> All right, everybody. I love you, lady. All right, guys, have a great week. We'll see you later. Thank you for listening to Office Ladies. Office Ladies is produced by Earwolf, Jenna Fisher, and Angela Kinsey. Our show is executive produced by Cody Fisher. Our producer is Cassie Jerkins. Our sound engineer is Sam Kiefer. And our associate producer is Ainsley Bubico. Our theme song is Rubber Tree by Creed Bratton. For ad-free versions of Office Ladies, go to stitcherpremium.com. For a free one-month trial of Stitcher Premium, use code OFFICE. OFFICE.